You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Golden Collier, to talk about their work and the Diasporan Savant Press. Golden Collier is a Chicago-based radical facilitator and multidisciplinary artist with work and collection at the Getty Museum Research Institute, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Pratt Institute, New York University's Tamament and Wagner Labor Archives. He is a filmmaker with work currently in festival circuits around the world, including Melbourne Queer Film Festival, Outfest LA, Seattle Queer Film Festival, and more. He creates strengths-based intersectional healing and recovery reflection tools through Diaspora and Savant Press and Black Queer Trans Recovery, and is the founder of the Black Non-Binary Archive, an allied media-sponsored oral history project. They love dancing, writing letters, gardening, wheel throwing, keeping bees, and learning, connecting all kinds of new skills in their spare time. Thanks so much for being here with us, Golden. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so we have a bunch of your work in our arts annex and our buyer, Alex, originally showed them to me and was like, this stuff is super cool. You need to take a look at it and see it. And so I spent like a month reading through a bunch of your zines and they are super fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you are a multidisciplinary artist, but um, with zines specifically, I wanted to start and by asking you when you made your first zine. When did you realize zines were like a really cool way to put work out into the world? Not until relatively recently, I guess. Um, I actually really, I feel like from growing up in my days, in like the hardcore and punk scene, I actually had a lot of not doubts. How about that and apprehensions and also kind of um not ill will but I just didn't really consider zines even legitimate if I'm honest <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I associated had all these associations built in with the hardcore scene and the white supremacy of the hardcore scene and the hyper masculinity of the hardcore scene and um that's when I first got introduced to zines it was really a lot of that um, just kind of white anarcho-syndicalists, you know, talking about like coffee and cats and it just was not appealing to me at all. And I really <laughs> thought the moda itself, I remember thinking, um, you know, who the hell is still writing zines? It's fucking like 20, it's the, you know, it's a <laughs> you know, what, what are people still writing paper zines? And I had that kind of idea about things until I was, when I was 30, I moved to California, um, just to like get sober and have some distance from some things that had happened where I um and from Atlanta and when I got out there I went just out of curiosity to San Francisco Zine Fest and that experience I'm linked up with AV who runs AV Joe who runs Open Creates and also is an organizer for SF Zine Fest or used to be and is a comics artist um who I really admire and I didn't know uh, her at the time but I remember seeing her work and then just really, that was the first time I ever interacted with Zooms where I was like, oh, people are doing a lot of different kinds of things. I was not really, I hadn't been exposed to the breadth of the way people were working with things. And then I actually, the next year after that, 
um, I thought I'm going to do this when it comes back up. And so I actually went and um, applied and got in. Um, and I applied with like a bunch of fake zines. Like I just <laughs> made the covers up and then the inside was blank. It looked like it was a book. <laughs> but I was like, well, this way it's, you know, if I get in, then I have to make the zines. Um, mm-hmm. And I got in. And then I made it and I was just like, it, yeah, zines were just, it was not what I thought it was. And if anything, I really, as someone who's like a book lover myself, it was really intoxicating to think about being able to say whatever I wanted um, without needing to kind of um, go through these like traditional publishing channels. And then I just really felt like the fest themselves, which I missed so much during the pandemic, um, were such a vibe themselves, like just the most idiosyncratic, autodidactic, strange I mean there's this one person I met that day who had been making she made zines that were like about desserts that you like with recipes you could make them but they were all disgusting looking like they were shaped like curds <laughs> with little eyeballs on them and smiling I was like people are just doing whatever the hell they want you know um and I love that I love that it just felt really good and so um it all kind of started there and from there I just started kind of making more zines and um, meeting more people and it was a really amazing way to like I never if you had told me when I was in my 20s that um, zines would be the way that my art was in like the net or the get you know it's like ridiculous honestly mm-hmm. you think about but it's true it's introduced me to so many people I never would have thought that but that's how I really got started and then when did you when did you sort of realize that it was a thing that deserved its own press. You're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep making these, and I want to sort of put myself under a label that people will know they're mine, and I'm gonna continue to create a body of work this way. I think when I first, so when I first applied to SF Zine Fest, I had those, like I said, those um, dummy zines for word that I just had made up when I was, you know, what they're about. But I guess the concept was strong. So they were like, yeah, you're good. Um, but then after that, I just needed a very uh, distinct way and like succinct way to be able to apply to FES. And I could do mm-hmm. it as an individual, but it's just easier if you're impressed. Um, yeah. And I also felt myself like, I felt like I was operating in a tradition of um, uh, feminist presses in general throughout history that like, you know, Firebrand Press is the one who published Sister Outsider. And like uh, Kitchen Table Press produced, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, all the women are white, all the men are black, but some of us are brave. I mean, it takes those independent presses doing things like that. And so I definitely felt also, in addition to it being practical, just the, um, the call to kind of move um, in this like, like lineage of um, like radical presses, radical small presses. And a lot of times zines can, uh either sort of be like a a specific moment in time. So for instance, the, um, let me get the title right. It was one of my favorites, uh, Making Your Mark. Um, So it can be like a specific sort of project. And that one could also be built on (coughs) as well. But um, how, how did certain projects evolve where you knew you wanted to continue them or revisit them? So for instance, your And Now My Watch Begins which is a a zine chronicling your sobriety through its initial stages in the first seven years. And then you're like, oh, a pandemic happened and 
this changed the game a little bit. <laughs> so continuing to go back to that. And then also with um, the, let's see, the Black non-binary folks in our own words, um, that project that also became associated with the Allied Media Project and how those things kind of grew um, from being maybe a seed of an idea. And then you just realize that there are so many people and more ways to tell these, these stories and how you kind of decide which ones are done and which ones you want to either revisit or continue building. So the, and now I'm gonna watch because, well, first of all, I was a huge Game of Thrones nerd. Um, <laughs> representing House Tyrell very strongly, but um, <laughs> that, uh, that scene initially just came out of like a lot of frustration of being like a person that was in recovery and being like, damn, you know, everything was based around 12 step, everything. And I had a lot of real problems with the way that um, I, after engaging with 12 step for, you know, I think five or six years, by the time I wrote the first one, I really thought, you know, I'm not trying to say nobody should do this. I'm trying to say that um, it's not for me for these particular reasons. And I hope that's validating for someone else who it's not for, or it doesn't work mm -hmm. for. Because it's not like if it doesn't work for you, that you are doomed. And that's kind of the messaging I was getting a lot. So that one just started out with me doing that one. <clears throat> and then I thought, hmm, the next year I thought, well, Huh, I've tried all these new programs now. I've moved to another city now. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me say what I've learned about, you know, those programs and the different recovery communities I was a part of because I lived in Oakland and the next year I moved to New York. And then um, I don't think I thought about doing another one past that. But then the next year I had moved to Philadelphia and the pandemic had started, which um, did have a lot of impacts on the way that I was practicing recovery because I couldn't go in person in meetings and I figured a lot of things that had to change. And a lot of the things I was working for my own personal program, the things that were building my strength personally as a person in recovery weren't really available. Like I couldn't go dance, mm -hmm. so whatever. So I really was like, I should, I that might be interesting for someone to read. I don't know. And at the very least, here's the snapshot of like, I think that's the year I became like, okay, this is going to be somewhere that I chronicle for myself what this yeah. journey has been like because I don't operate under the assumption that I'll always be able to I, I don't take it for granted that I'm sober right now or that I'll be sober in the future just because I've been sober for like nine years doesn't mean anything you know life is so hard and so unpredictable so um so I just kind of grew like that like I just every year was like wow you know <laughs> so much has changed let me see um and then um the Black non-binary situation, that was a project that got a lot of interest um, when I first started it, when I first put the feelers out for it, and then I moved a bunch, and then the pandemic happened, and so I had all these people I was meant to go and like visit, because I was also um, talking with a few other people, collaborators who are filmmakers as well, about making a documentary, so I was actually going mm -hmm. to find visiting people, and you know, things really did have to shift a lot for the pandemic, so um but in, in spite of that, I felt like, especially because I was during the time of the uprisings, I really just felt like I needed for myself to see, to witness other like Black queer, like exploration, thriving, safety, you know, um, uh, art and like creativity and joy in a really serious way. And um, so even though it was extremely difficult to produce the first um, anthology of that, it also was 
something I really felt I needed to see myself, you know, um, and I think the continuation of that, it's morphed into um, an Allied Media project, which runs Allied Media Conference, if you're not familiar with that, for people who are listening. Um, and so I have another issue. I think I'm transitioning to making those single issues instead of trying to get a huge anthology together anymore. <laughs> Got it at this point, but, um, but there's just so I could interview. I'm a real serious oral history person. I love oral history. Yeah. But I think, um, and I think that I could interview like 10,000 people and they would all say something pretty different because it's very personal. Yeah. So it just makes sense for it to be, to not stop. As long as I'm able to, I think I, that's a project mm-hmm. that I'm going. But then sometimes I do something and I'm like, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just I really go with whatever's interesting to me, if I'm honest. That's really the benefit yeah. of what I do is that, um, and I think the zine world in general, is that you have people because you're not going to get famous, you're not going to make a ton of money, you're not going to get rich and buy two homes, you know, like, so you just <laughs> have to care about it, you know. I yeah. Think I do it. Are there, are there any topics, I'm sure you've got things in the works, but are there any topics that you either haven't found the, the right way to approach it yet, or um, like things haven't lined up yet, but topics you really are interested in exploring or making collections about? Yeah, sure. I actually have a big <laughs> age of ideas. I really wanted to, I forgot what I was going to call it, but I really wanted to have this zine series that literally would take something that I, that's common that I use. So like, I don't know, maybe a product that I use or something like that, and mm-hmm. then go through and list every single one of the ingredients and then go through and say what those ingredients are. And the zine is just that. And then me talking that. about with that thing. Yeah, because um, I rarely know what all the things are on the labels of the things that I. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just like I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, and I kind of like to know, you know. Yeah. Um, and I would be interested in reading that. And then I also, um, gosh, there's one that one thing I've been working on for maybe a year or two now, um, and well, two things. One is a resource, um, recovery resource mapper, which just like is a way for people to think about um, in a strengths-based way, what, what are the resources they already have in their life um, to support them in trying to heal, whether that be like friendships or relationships or what are the things that really bring them like, joy in their life, where do they feel safe and really mapping those things out so that they can make a plan for supporting themselves um on their path that one is just kind of taking a long time because inspiration has been like really ebbing and flowing during the pandemic yeah it's just dragging on forever but then there is one called um that i'm working on called the the end of relationships and it's a workbook that basically is looking at how to how to frame the end of relationships and work relationships and the friendships and romantic Mm -hmm. relationships um and how to support yourself through that transition but it's such a huge topic that I just like go back to it and try and work on it and work on it more but it's it's vast like the more I try to put in the more I'm like Ooh, I don't you know I don't want to leave anything out but it yeah it's hard to think about what would be helpful to people you know well in that I wanted to ask you too about uh not the difference between but um how you move between realizing that a zine is something that might be more of an oral history 
versus some of the more workbook um, type of zines that you've put out, which I love. One of my favorites is the, um, the So Glad You're Here, the birthday one. Um, and also the, uh, the uh, May I, the tradable um, for tradable checklist zine for steamy consensual times. um so and those ones like those ones are so simple but there's something like so joyous about maybe it's uh my like Virgo rising that I'm like yay homework (laughs) Uh (laughs) or I'm like give me something to do um where you can like fill it out and it's it's got such a um like a gentleness and community to it where it's something that you made and it's for other people, but then someone else gets to fill it out and add something to it and then give it to someone else too. There's such like a circular community aspect to that. So I wanted to see what, how, how you feel about uh, like creating those um, workbook type zines in comparison to the oral histories or telling stories. Yeah, I think the workbooks are really dear to my heart in some way because <clears throat> I personally like workbooks a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I like, I relish opportunities to kind of reflect on things in a a way that's strengths-based, in a way that's um, non-shaming, non-judgmental, and um, in a way that I think in a lot of ways, when I started making zines, it occurred to me, I remember at some point that I could make something like that. I could make a workbook and I was like, oh, wow, I can't, I can do whatever I want, right? Um, And so I think as someone who does like workbooks and I buy, you know, I own a bunch of trade back workbooks like that you get from like a store, you know, big perk for them. Um, So often I think as like a black person, as a trans person and as, you know, in different ways, I just feel like the, the address is really not to someone like me. The address is to client zero, who I think is assumed is white, is assumed is middle class. There's a lot of assumptions you could tell just from the address in a lot of these workbooks. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, well, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? I don't, when I do this, what I want to do is make sure that it feels really accessible to all many, many, many different kinds of people. Yeah. Um, and that many different people feel like seen um, and thought about, you know, and like, um, like in none of these workbooks that I would buy, would they be like assume that someone could be trans or assume that someone is like disabled or it's just like the assumptions very, it's it's supposed to be um, in their attempt to make it as mainstream as possible to alienate all these people yes, from the, so people, from the yeah. that everybody deserves to have a chance to reflect on. So it was really empowering to me and exciting and it still is very much so to be able to think about tools that would be helpful to me and then broaden the scope of who else can possibly benefit um and so that's when I think of something that I want to particularly think about healing from or or that I'm like man I'm really stuck about this I wonder how I could think about this that's usually where it looks for, for me but then the oral history stuff is really fun because um besides that's a different level of like um research and then like contacting people and organizing how to you know what's the best way to meet up with them and then Mm -hmm. usually beforehand and then doing the actual thing and then you know um it's a lot more of that kind of stuff but then the actual um zine is just talking to people which i love to do you know um like uh 
the making your mark um, tattoo artists who were able to participate in that. That was really lovely. And that was my first time ever doing anything like that. I just thought I got a tattoo and I thought, what the fuck? This is a terrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> the shop was so cruel and just like not, you know, there was the jokes they're making were terribly like racist and anti-black and um, there were a lot of misogynist things that people were saying. And I just thought, Jesus, if I worked in this industry, what would that be like? And then I was like, I'm gonna ask some people, you know, because maybe that was just my experience. Um, yeah. And uh, so usually, if I there are people that I want to interview about something, then I that will become part of the oral history kind of path. But if it's something that I think um, many people could benefit from having a chance to reflect on and being seen in a particular kind of way, because I think there's a healing in that as well. Um, that I that's usually where I go with the workbooks. Um, yeah. But there's always certainly definitely kind of like a feeling of every time I do a work with them, I'm always kind of like, who the fuck are you? Who do you, well, who are you to do something like that? But I'm kind of like, who am I not? Why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not forcing no. anybody to engage with it if they want it. Then, you know, and yeah. if I do it and people give me feedback, it's like, you know, and I welcome that. I'm like, please tell me something. I missed something or what, you know, how it landed. Then I'll take, I'll stop doing it. I won't release it. You know, I'll take it off. Yeah. But that hasn't happened. But I definitely, every time I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, you know? <laughs> yeah. And most people aren't really interested in, uh, well, people who are angry are not really interested in constructive feedback. They're just yelling into the void because they're angry about other things. Um, but mm -hmm. I love that the majority, I think probably all of your zines have the, like, there's a note either in the beginning or the end that says like, reach out, tell me like, if this is something that you liked, if there's something in here that didn't resonate with your experience and you think it could be a little different, you're, there's always that open line of communication to make these stories as universal as possible for people to connect with or people to enjoy and be able to use in a constructive way and I think that's so important and uh and the people who want to like you said no one has to pick it up but those people are hilarious to me that pick something up and are like no I'm gonna I'm gonna yell about it now yeah. <laughs> like why <laughs> when I first started doing those recovery zines I got in so many serious fights with people people were very upset that um I was they felt like I was really criticizing AA they felt like I was really, and I was, but I wasn't doing it. I didn't say, oh, well, don't, you know, it doesn't work for anybody and it should be demolished. No. Just, oh, this isn't, this is my experience. But for a long time, there was the first two or three I did, it was just like very serious. Like people would threaten me. They would write me very ugly um, emails and just stuff like that. And it's like, I'm not making you buy it. I'm not, you know, this is just my opinion. No. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, they, those people are a minority compared to most of the really kind, um, yeah, supportive people I meet through my work. And then I wanted to uh, to talk to you a little bit about the design of all of your different projects because there's a lot of collage, um, like the way that colors are used, and also uh, you created your own font for a lot of them, um, <laughs> and use your own writing and things like that. So just the the design process of going from a cover mock-up with blank pages <laughs> mm -hmm. to uh, to whether or not the 
the design for something kind of comes along, obviously the idea will come first, but do you kind of build them at the same time? The, like, this is what I want these to look at the way the non-binary in our own voices uh, was more of like a bound book versus like a stapled zine um, and different things like that. How do you work through that process as it comes? I have a really heavy duty Lopesco stapler um, that uses um, like archival like steel steel staples. Yeah, steel staples. (laughs) And um, can staple like 30 pages at a time. But if it's any larger than that, then it has to be perfectly bound. So in that way, the the form itself kind of requires to make the the, um, project stable as a book. Um, So it doesn't just like fall apart. But I actually really love designing covers and, and doing the layouts, but that's like the part that comes at the very, very, very end. Everything else um, comes before. I think like the, the getting to physically design the covers is like my dessert at the end of the project. Because <laughs> um, most of like 95% of, well, not 95, maybe like 90% of the rest of it is, is all administrative stuff or yeah. uh, editing or like, proofreading or stuff like that or you know yeah not not terribly it could feel quite tedious actually often um but the deciding how it looks is always a pleasure and I used to do like um right before I went to that first zine fest I was teaching myself how to use photoshop Mm -hmm. so awful but at that time I was making zines I would print out the pages and then get them chopped in half because I would use little half sizes and then I would go through, before I got them shopped, I had these master pages, like actual pages that I still have archived in my own studio. And then I would go through and stamp on them with like hand-carved stamps. And then I would take them to a coffee shop, get them to copy them, collate them, and I would chop them in half with a big guillotine and then go through and collate and fold and staple all of them. And that was a terrible way to operate. <laughs> now is much, much better because then I also, right around that time, taught myself how to use InDesign so that it was just, um, I could transition almost completely away from having paper originals, which was so perilous. Like yeah. <laughs> just carrying them around from place to place. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I, uh, I always love to ask people what is, what kind of things, um, especially since you work in so many different mediums, like what are the things that are filling you up, inspiring you, bringing you joy right now, work that you're seeing, watching, reading, um, anything like that? Wow. Well, music is like, um, is everything for me. I love music. It's such a huge part of my life and always bringing me a lot of joy. I'm really into the work of Beverly Glenn Copeland right now. Actually, I don't think that person does a Beverly Glenn Copeland. Glenn Copeland, if you hear this, I love you so much. Thank you for your work in this world. I really appreciate you. Um, really into Glenn Copeland, Glenn Copeland, really into this doom uh, metal artist, Lingua Ignota, who makes these amazing records that are about like, um, she's a survivor. Actually, I have another person's pronouns. I'll say they, they are a survivor. And um, they always play this extremely, portray this extremely vengeful, uh, almost like sadistic uh, character that's just like out to like one that's almost like kill all rapists. I mean, it's just like, it's extreme. <laughs> like really, I like do yoga to it. You know, it's just like, I yeah. just like it so much. Um, the new seasons of Ozarks just came out. I'm very into that. Um, 
what else is like really giving me joy? I'm a big gardener, so I feel like I've just been planting and uh, getting in the seed catalogs from like uh-huh. Love and Southern Exposure and um, Baker. Um, is that is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah. No, anything. Ev- anything and everything. Anything. Hmm. I'm also super into getting into ceramics right now into wheel throwing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How's that going? <laughs> really good for the most part um mostly because I just am trying to put any pressure on myself to try to be super great right yeah. <laughs> just to make gifts for my friends and little things for myself and it's quite meditative um mm-hmm. I'm loving that um yeah I mean those are the things off top that I feel like I really and making my friends care packages I've been really into that um lately and I have a steam room in my apartment so I just steam like all the time <laughs> Which yes also- oh my gosh so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I need that gun too which I know is out of control but <laughs> no it's not no it's not <laughs> yay oh man I'm just gonna talk to myself but I'm very excited about that <laughs> That, that will be so fun. I have a friend who recently did that. Well, not super recently, but maybe a year or so ago. And now they're just, they're like, okay, come visit. Cause I will, I'm like, just, you can fill in all my blank spaces, please. (laughs) No, that's so fun. I am so excited to see all of the wonderful things that are coming our way from you and Diaspora and Savant Press for all of our listeners and locals to Skylight Books. We've got a stock of golden zines in store and you can always order from their Etsy shop. Yes. Yeah. Um, for diaspora and savant press titles. Um, and also, thank you. If Etsy is listening to this, I hate you. But go ahead. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, Etsy. Um, <laughs> thank you for selling my things, but no, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, you don't have to support Etsy. You can buy them online from Skylight Books too, probably. We'll make sure yeah. they're on our Shopify. Also too, you can always get my work from Brown Recluse Zine Distro. Shout out Brown Recluse um, if you also don't want to deal with Etsy. And uh, I think they're on Printed Matter too. There's yeah. some on Printed Matter. Printed Matter, yeah, exactly. Yeah, buy Etsy, we don't need you. Um, <laughs> and so again, for all of our listeners, uh, my guest today was Golden Collier and we were so excited to chat about all things Diaspora and Savant Press. And thank you for listening and we hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.